Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to try to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. It's summertime in Salt Lake City, time to catch our breath. So we're going to do that tonight. We're going to do catch up on emails, open the phone lines, take calls, commentary, make some really exciting announcements, and uh, talk a little bit about the past five weeks with Brother Matt Slick. So first, get your calendars out, turn them to September of this year, and with a red marker, block out Friday evening, September 11th, and Saturday morning, September 12th, for a special taping of Heart of the Matter. Why will it be so special? We're going to have a guest named Dr. Don Preston with us. Who's Dr. Don K. Preston? He was a pastor for 16 years at the Ardmore Family of God Church and is now president of the Preterist Research Institute, a nonprofit institute dedicated to the positive proclamation of the good news, which includes the fact, this is from their website, that we are not in the last days and the world is not just about to end. In other words, Don is one of the world's most foremost experts on preterism, and having him here is truly going to bless us in spirit and in truth. Don has engaged in debate with some leading evangelicals of the day, James Jordan, Joel McDermott, C. Marvin Pate, David Inglesma, Harold Hohner, Randall Price, Thomas Ice, and others. I've heard some of the more argumentative and popular apologists around today fear him and won't debate him. The people that we hold up as the great debaters and apologists, they won't debate this guy. He knows his stuff. Uh, he's the host with William Bell in Memphis, Tennessee of a popular internet radio program called Two Guys and the Bible. It airs Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. He owns three web websites regarding eschatology. He's the author of a number of bo books uh, that talk about eschatology and end times. And uh, I want to publicly invite any and all to prepare to come, tell your friends. Uh, now, I'm stepping out a little bit here. This is not to create division, but to just say it straight. Invite especially Calvary chapels in the state of Utah and especially their pastors from Calvary chapels to show up and defend their position, to show up and present why their position uh, holds water, uh, the futurist position. 
The reason I think this is important is because they are the most ardent defenders and promoters of eschatology. Jesus is coming. He's coming. He's coming. Get ready. It's just around the corner. It's any minute. Get your house in order. Hang on. Stockpile things. They're, they don't necessarily teach that, but they are always on end times. Now listen, they have the right to, to teach that. So why do this? I think end times is a subject that has been manipulated by the masses for decades. And we showed that when we talked about it on the show to the point that good people mindlessly, and I mean mindlessly, embrace futurism and Jesus' second, imminent second coming as a fact, and they've been doing it for 2,000 years. We speak of Mormons, and we mock Mormons mindlessly accepting what they are taught over the, public, over the pulpit, but Christians in this area are no different. And the interesting thing is Christians really rip on Latter-day Saints their glassed over look, you know? When you say, hey, do you know how many wives Joseph Smith had? You know, well, when you tell a Christian uh, who is a futurist, uh, Jesus already came back. Automatically, no, get away. They cast you out. They think you are absolutely absurd. They don't believe you're a believer. And it's really a very viable position that many Christians hold. It's the preterist position. Secondly, the topic of Jesus' second coming has taken this beautiful, reasonable, wonderful faith of ours and has made it look so ridiculously fanatical. I mean, for centuries, we have been so fanatically obsessed, done some of the craziest things in the name of this. People are actually praying for Jesus to come and destroy other people on this earth in Jesus' name. Come and wipe them out, you know, praying that he will destroy people. And, and like I've told you before, when I was uh, first a, a new Christian and Chuck Smith, who I admire greatly, used to say, I just hope he comes back tomorrow and just takes over and does his thing tomorrow. And I'd think to myself, you know, I've got a wife and I've got kids and I've got loved ones all around me who they don't know the truth. And if he's supposed to come back and do what everyone believes, why would I want him to come back tomorrow? Let's give us some time. So if we can do anything to put a lid on this, we're doing good in my estimation. And I think Dr. Don Preston is going to go a long way in helping us with that. But the single most important reason the topic of Jesus' second coming needs to be addressed is because the LDS have embraced this topic too. They have jumped on it and they, they, really, it's what the church was built on. It was millennialist when it began of Jesus' imminent return. We have to prepare for the establishment of the kingdom of God here on earth. And listen, if the only true church with prophets and apostles can be proven wrong on this using the Bible, proven wrong, we will go a long, long way in putting a definitive dent in their armor and bring people out in droves and into a liberated relationship with the Lord. Stay with me. In order for us to be in a positive to do this as a Christian church, as the body of Christ, pastors, prognosticators, people putting up billboards that the end is going to be on April 21st of this next coming year and all that stuff, they've got to wake the truck up. I mean, 
it's time to just say, okay, let's see what the Bible really says. So this is the challenge. It's an open challenge. Come, bring your opinions. Bring your proof texts. Sit in the audience. Ask questions. Take the microphone. Dr. Preston, how can you believe this when Revelation says that? And his arguments are unbelievable and substantiated by the Word of God. I don't think there's any more important topic to discuss, to tell you the truth, in Christianity today. Because I think it changes the way you live your Christian faith when you come to understand what it says. That's Dr. Don Preston here at Heart of the Matter Studios. Salt Lake City, Friday, September 11th and Saturday, September 12th, and we'll go from there. Speaking of debated topics in the body of Christ, last week we finished our five-part series with Brother Matt Slick. His visit and his presentations have generated a lot of discussion online with our viewers, on the show, sending emails, even people who just tuned in to see what was going on. Matt is obviously a very intelligent man. Uh, We can learn a lot from his insights, his ability to recite scripture, And above all things, all things, Matt and his wife are brothers, sisters in the Lord. Uh, What Matt's views are on this particular area or that particular area are really irrelevant. He and I had a few moments together of getting our hackles up. And, you know, you put two roosters in in the hen house, they're going to fight. And uh, so we got a little bit aggressive with each other, but it wasn't too bad. I embraced Matt and all of his thoughts and teachings as completely acceptable. and allowable. Why? Because I know Matt believes that Jesus is the I am. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the only way to the Father, and it is by our faith and belief on him that we are saved. Matt agrees with that. Anyone who claims these things is a Christian in my book. Uh, and even if they vary a little bit in certain little areas, I mean, it's not my, my job to judge. Of course, I differ with Matt on some of his definitional points and ideas relative to biblical interpretation, obviously. But I differ with most people on things like that. Matt has to be respected for his God-given abilities. He's honed those abilities and the truths he does share. But as I said before, and I just want to wrap it up with this, I wanted to have Matt on the show to illustrate that no matter how well rehearsed a person is, and I knew Matt would be rehearsed when he came on, in their presentation of systematic theology, uh, there are other views in Christian people that will differ with those presentations and the models that are offered. In other words, I don't believe for a second in the face of all the passages that support Calvinism or Arminianism or Reconciliationism or uh, Restorationism that human beings, I don't believe any human being has the ability to completely capture God completely understand his love, completely understand his ways, his mind, his view of things, and say, this is how it is. I absolutely reject that. And any human being who does that, I'm just going to differ with them and say, I don't agree, and try to push for unity. If no human being can summarize those things for us, if none of us understands him completely or his ways, the only response that we can have as believers is one of setting aside doctrines and divisions and dogmas and loving each other and just preaching the essentials. 
If we don't embrace that approach, and this is the mantra, this is the soapbox I get on over and over again, if we don't do it, listen clearly, then we're going to end up as Sadducees and Pharisees looking at every jot and every tittle and saying, now wait a minute here, this and that. The New Testament becomes a new law written in stone. We become under burden of law. We become legalistic. We think we're better than others. And it's antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that the exercise Matt and I engaged in will serve to show that while two people can differ so radically on almost every disputable point of doctrine, we can part ways amicably and hopefully as brothers in the Lord. Uh, the heart of the matter is love, as 1 Corinthians 13 defines love. Um, the heart of the matter is love. And with that, how about a moment from the Word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Uh, you know, it's been a while since uh, I've done a From the Word. Quite frankly, I miss it. Uh, the busier I get and the more I find myself distant from being in the Word, uh, I sense in an odd sort of way a loss. Um, his Word is living. His Word is spirit. Uh, and that's kind of an odd thing to say, but Jesus said it in, in John 6.63. This is what he said. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. Right, John? And they are life. These words have been introduced and understood in many different ways by different people. Simply put, I take them to mean this. Jesus was saying, my doctrine is spiritual. It quickens, it gives life, it nourishes the soul the mind, will, and emotions of a, of a human being. The words I say, and therefore the words that we read, are from heaven. They give life, real life, everlasting life. The flesh, Jesus says in the King James, profits nothing. The way we interpret things in the flesh, in the carnal mind. But the words, Jesus says, that I speak originate from heaven. They are spirit. They are life. They're not letters. They are spirit. Emerging out of the Old Testament, the scribes and scholars and ruling class of educated men, they cited the law verse by verse. They judged each other by it strictly. They placed great value on the doctrines and ways of Moses, which were literally applied and focused on physical things that fed them and kept them physically protected and safe. Do this, you're blessed. Do that, you're cursed. That was the law of Moses. But it didn't profit them. Jesus said, look at your fathers. They're all dead. That's how he put it. But in opposition to this are his words. They are spirit, which carry on eternally and really live. They're not flesh. They're not temporary. Flesh dies. The word doesn't. I take these words of Jesus to mean that the words are spirit, and they're not to be understood in the carnal sense. Jesus said just a few verses before this passage that I've cited, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. That teaching really tweaked people. They heard it, and, and John writes, And after he taught this, many departed. They, they freaked out when he, they said, These are hard things to understand. So hard that they walked away. But in verse 63, Jesus makes his point clear. 
relative to the teaching of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he says, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Even I'm not talking about eating my literal flesh. I'm not talking about drinking my literal blood. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. They are life. He has commanded them to eat his flesh and drink his blood, but he explains the flesh profits nothing. I'm not talking about that literally. The words that I'm talking to you, they're what give you life. Don't take this stuff literally. It's spiritual. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, speaking of God, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament. Look at that line. God has made us able ministers of the New Testament. Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, today we would say, What's the New Testament made of? And we would say, It's made of letters. Yes, it's all written right there. That's our New Testament. That's not what the New Testament is. When Paul said that God has made us ministers of the New Testament, this New Testament did not exist. It did not exist. So, what was the New Testament? that he was talking about. It was not the written New Testament. It was all spirit. That's the new covenant. That is what he was talking about, all and through the spirit. Afterward, what we came to formally call the New Testament, the compilation of the letters and the gospels, and came together some 1,500 years later, but the, it was not the New Testament. The New Testament that we are ministers of is a spiritual thing. All the way back in Jeremiah 31, thir, uh, 31, we read, Behold, the days come, say the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant. You ready? In Hebrews 8, 10 through 12, he describes what that new covenant is. You ready? He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the, greatest, from the least to the greatest. Do you get it? The new covenant is written in our minds and in our hearts. This is where the Spirit reigns and lives and thrives, not in the letter. We learn from the letter. We grow by the letter, but as the Spirit is written upon our hearts and our minds, cite the letter, quote the letter, use the letter as a club, you miss the mark. The words are spirit. His words are life. In etern in, internally, they are our life. And the life of God can be summarized in one word, and that is love. With that, how about a word of prayer? Lord, we... Uh, should have prayed to you before because I believe in it, and, and if I believe in it, I think we should do it, and, uh, or I should do it at least. And we just pray that you open up eyes and ears and hearts that are seeking for truth. You'll free us, you'll emancipate us from the laws and rituals and religions of men, and you'll help us to just be free from all the things that you came and completed for us as the author and finisher, finisher of this faith. And we'll look to you. And then in complete peace, we'll be able to love. We pray for our staff and volunteers, people who are out there, wherever they're watching. In Jesus' name, amen. We had a little uh, festivity here at the Heart of the Matter Studios uh, last week. And we have a video taken by Phyllis G. Take a look. 
This is a letter of warning. You have no idea of what you're doing to yourself. I've said that for years. <laughs> but she goes on, says, Jesus is very protective of his church, the LDS church, that is. And then she goes on and she says, and I would not want to be the person who took the VHS camera into the sacred LDS temple and brought the works of Jesus out for the whole world to view. Uh, well, we happen to have that person here. Uh, Larry, come up for a second and tell us how that came about. Show them. She talks about you being uh, in the power of Satan and uh, let her know how that is. <laughs> What's it like to, to be in that state? Take a few minutes and tell us what that's all about. Can you can. Oh, you need a mic, don't you? Well, I don't want to stand here and hug your brother. Here. Here. I'll put this back on after. We run a tight ship here. There you go. Uh, what was I doing here? You're going to tell about the temple film. Oh, the, tem the temple film, um, it's been um, a little update. I'm in part of the group of people that uh, the films were taken by New Name Noah. He was on the stage about a year ago. Um, but the films have been quite a hit in very areas, many areas. They've been uh, recently sh shown or advertised a link to YouTube under the name of Helen Waite. If you want to go to YouTube, uh, you can find the uh, temple training videos. Uh, but they've been um, run on Facebook in uh, Mexico, uh, California, Arizona, and um, New Mexico. Had quite a response from that. Recently, it's, we've been running the uh, advertisements down in uh, Utah County during uh, graduation uh, week. Also, uh, we ran it in, uh, for the temple opening in uh, Payson, Utah, on all uh, San Pete County and Utah County for 30 days. Had quite a uh, return of uh, comments. And uh, we're, we're sh uh, the reason we're doing this is not to embarrass the uh, Mormon church. We're trying to um, get the truth of the temple ceremony of the doctrine that is taught in the temple and how it uh, affects people um, 
it, once they become committed to that church. So trying to look for the youth and the um, uh, potential converts. Uh, the comments we get are from uh, members of the church. Uh, Very good. So. Thank you, Larry, for that outstanding impromptu report. Okay. Very good. So, uh, yeah, what's interesting about what that does, and again, it, as far as I'm concerned, if someone wants to go and spend their time, pay 10% of their gross income to be able to uh, go into the temple and sit there and do their stuff, if they want to do that and they love the Lord and they're trying to have at it. But I love what it has done is it's opened the eyes of people who are investigating, who get the missionary discussions that simply say, you know, we are Christian. They're, they've really geared it toward that. And the people really don't know what is behind the uh, veil, so to speak. And it also is helping with the youth to see what that is all about and to know what they're in and what they're getting into. Uh, I know how sensitive that is with, with LDS people, but I think it's time um, to say too bad. It's time to step up and say, this is what we do. This is what we believe. I have no problem with someone saying, I'm LDS. I love the temple. I believe it's getting me into heaven. Hey, have at it. Go ahead. But I think that the expose has been good. Listen, uh, we have stockpiled a number of emails. We're 600 and some behind. So let me get through a few. Uh, this is from Brett K. I went on an LDS mission uh, serving in Virginia. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But now I can say that the LDS church is definitely true. That's what he writes. He quotes 1 Corinthians 2 about the natural man not being able to understand the things of God. And then he says, I was wondering if you would mind sharing any spiritual experiences with me that you had when you were deciding to leave the Mormon church. I think you would have a higher conversion rate if you relied more on sharing those experiences with other people rather than talking about works and grace and bringing up salamander letters over and over again. Well, I, even when I was talking about Mormonism, I rarely talked about salamander letters and Mark Hoffman. Uh, and I am not out about having a conversion rate. I have no idea over the years we've covered Mormonism who has converted from Mormonism and into Christianity. My job is to simply uh, share the truth, teach, uh, prod, question, and uh, open the BS up to scrutiny. That's kind of what we do. Uh, but in terms of spiritual experiences, Brett, uh, it was a singular spiritual experience that changed my course. I was uh, driving in the car and I heard a radio preacher who I later met years later and he asked a question. He said, if you could get your life right before God, why haven't you done it? And I had been LDS for 40 years. I tried to get my life right before God. I did everything I could. I went on the mission, went in the temple, I did all the stuff, paid the tithing, observed the Sabbath day, wore the suit, fulfilled my callings, did my home teaching, and none of that stuff worked. I was a jackass, more of a jackass than I am now. I was a rat proud bastard head. And so, you know, I knew that and I knew my heart was bad, but I knew outwardly I was really playing the part. So I listened to this pastor and he said, the reason that you haven't done it is because you can't do it. You don't have the ability. Call to God, ask him for forgiveness of your sinful nature. I did that long story short. I was born again by the end of the day. It was a radical thing. I remained LDS four years. I didn't know what to do. I didn't go to another church. 
I just, but I was radically changed. That's the singular spiritual experience I had when I was uh, looking at the LDS Church, Brent, and caused me to come out. Uh, from a missionary out in the field, I have five weeks left on my mission and have to spend a lot of it reading the Bible. I'm trying to finish the Book of Mormon to get a testimony. I struggle to believe there's another true church, is what he says. Maybe you could give me some things to study so you could tell me I'm wrong. There's no true church. All churches are false. Um, we are run, they're run by men. This church campus is false because I have my ideas. I teach things. We do things that aren't right. Churches are institutions, and they're false. But the body of Christ, members of his church, of the body, they are true. They form what his church is. So there's some people who are in the body of Christ who are in the Baptist church and the Presbyterian and Calvinists and Arminius and, and LDS and, and all these different faiths. There are true believers. They make up the true church. And I hope that helps you uh, understand N.S., who's out in the mission field. Chet writes, and Clint, who joined him, concurred in a separate email, Please consider, if you haven't already, having a series dialogue debate with Matt Slick on the topic of the Trinity. This would be very imperative to the body to view. Thanks. Love your show. It's impacted my views to a slight degree. I was a future dispensationalist, but your preterist interpretations have got me to reevaluate my position. Uh, and he goes on and on. I'm not sure that the topic will do any good. Uh, if you guys really think so, we could do it. But the bottom line is, it's going to be me trying to explain why I don't believe the Holy Spirit is a person, a literal 100% God person, with Jesus 100% God person, with Father 100% God person who make one God. I have a hard time with the Holy Spirit being a person, and I think it's the Spirit of God. And, uh, and so, and Matt is going to go, and we're going to just go back and forth, and it will be, in my opinion, frustrating, but we'll talk about it. If enough people are interested in that, we can see. We have a caller, uh, Daylene in Citrus Heights, California. Let's take Daylene. What's up, sister? Yes. Um, I, hi. Uh, I have some very tough questions for you. You have tough questions? Yes. Let's hear them. Okay, hold on, wait one second, Daylene. Now I can't hear it, Seth. I got involved with the Mormon church, and I believed their stuff, and I went to Deseret. And I got their books, and I studied, and I studied. I actually read the Book of Mormon 47 times. Oh. And then shortly after getting baptized, <clears throat> it became horrendous. All of a sudden, nothing I did was right, right down to the way that I smelled, because I let my dogs in the house. So they would come to me at work and say that while I was at work. And I work retail, and I'm a cashier, so I can't really say who or who doesn't go in my line. So I asked them shortly thereafter, you know, and they told me they were putting me through a test, and I had to learn to forgive. I was told things that, um, and I was told that I was a hybrid, and what are you going to do, hybrid cry? Nobody cares about you. Because I made the mistake as the president of the priesthood's wife, and I told her a lot about my personal life. So she knows I have, I had no ties with my mother and father because of their life choices. And a lot of the personal stuff that I told her has been used against me brutally. Daylene? And I just need to understand why 
what happened? What are they doing this to me for? Why do they go through my neighborhood door to door and use the word props for the book of Jehovah Witnesses and a baby stroller telling my neighbors things about me? One of my neighbors lives several doors down across the street, stopped at the end of my driveway and said, I know your whole story and nobody cares. Well, I'm 51 years old, and people know that my mother was a heroin addict prostitute, and my father was a health angel, one percenter. They've been dead for 30 plus years. Why on earth is all this happening to me? Daylene? That's what I would like to know, yes. Are you still a member of the LDS Church? No, I had my name taken off there. They do. They follow me as... I had to go to a therapist for my post-traumatic stress because of my, the way I was raised, you know? I can't handle stress. And, and mean as I walk away, you know, it, it hurts me internally. Yeah. Well, and um, I got myself out of the church because I can't, they won't leave me alone. Yeah. Well. I'm being serious, sir. I don't know what to do. And I yeah. tried going to a therapist and I'm even followed there. I, can, I took photographs. Let me tell you which car I could ID them in a lineup. Daylene? Yeah. Okay, now just try to calm down because I know you're upset and you sound very emotional. Uh, this is the first time I've ever come out loud and said it. That's why I kept my mouth shut because I have so much respect for Jesus and I didn't want to say anything bad. Listen, do you, uh, do you have access to going to just a really low-key, non-denominational, non-oppressive church in your area? No, they... Um, <laughs> Oh, they have like um, slandered me so bad in where I live yeah. that um, I can't even people think horrible things about me and I don't know where it came from I've never been arrested I don't even have a thing yeah. ever I think since I was 32 Daylene I tell you what listen it sounds like you know why don't you email me you can go to hotm.tv email me and just send me your phone number, or you can ask for my phone number. Remind us of this conversation, and maybe we can talk offline. I think that because be... you know what I'm talking. I, I really need to talk to somebody who knows, so I can just let. You know what I'm saying? Okay. We have your phone okay, number, I... Daylene. Can I call you after the show? Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, I do. I want to. I'll call you after the show. Okay. I just want Jesus to come and save me. I just need why that I do this. Well, we'll talk about it because you're very upset. And you, it sounds like you have a lot on your mind. And so why don't we just take a private conversation and do that? Okay. All right, you hang in there. You, you hang in there, okay? I'll talk to you in about an hour. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Pray for Daylene. She's under a lot of stress, obviously. Needs help. Let's, pray. Let's uh, go to John in West Palm Beach, Florida. John, you're on Heart of the Banner. Yes, uh, Pastor Sean. You don't mind if I call you Pastor, do you? Yes. You do? Okay. <laughs> I'm a uh, pastor. <laughs> okay, good evening. Um, I, at first, I'd like to thank you for, for all the episodes that you've kind of put on uh, in your archives. Yeah. And uh, I guess somebody in Europe who's put them on YouTube. It, yeah. That, that has been a tremendous help, and uh, it's been nice to be able to go through all those. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Uh, 
I'm going to try to make this brief. Uh, one, I, uh, I just wanted to mention, I, I was living in the Philippines for roughly about 10 years, and I, I would see LDS there all the time, and, uh, you know, uh, carrying on, I guess, with their mission, and, uh, from the, from the states, you know, and, uh, and I, oftentimes would see the same ones and they would see me but it didn't seem like they were interested in me at all it seemed to me like they were only interested in the locals and i i started thinking well, what about my salvation these guys would never come and and uh and and uh face me and uh i i just started getting the impression uh that it was almost like they were just there to pray a certain to a certain extent prey upon the local uh people that were there and the low hanging fruit Come again? The low-hanging fruit. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to call the Filipino people that. But no. I, I. And and I know that's not what you're doing. But uh, it just seemed like uh, where I've heard you speak about, you know, clean-cut gentlemen that that uh, 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 that represent the church and stuff. And I think uh, it kind of makes a statement to the to the local people, and they're they're more impressed by it, I guess, than I than I was. Um, uh, it just it kind of bothered me that they weren't interested in me. But but getting which I guess was what kind of brought me into what, your your videos on online and stuff like that. And and my question for you is is that uh, probably up until the age of seventeen, I was involved in another church that they claimed ten million strong as well, uh, similar to the Mormons. And some of their beliefs are the same. They claim that they're the true church because they have living apostles, and the Bible preaches that. And or states that that's an, that's one of the things that's a necessity. Um, they don't they don't believe that they all become gods after they after you know passing on after after this world. But I guess uh, my question is uh, they they do say that uh, only the apostles can interpret the Bible and everyone else. It's uh, you you have to basically come to church. They're the only way. And, and I guess what my question is for you, what does the Bible say, uh, or what's your impression where they say that their church is the only way to become a firstling in heaven, uh, I, I guess is what they called it, uh, and, uh, and, and I guess join, join God as a firstling, and everyone else come in second, I guess. They're not saying that that there's not other paths to get to heaven, but they're the only original first path to get there. And uh, and I, I guess the reason why I ask this question is because similar to Mormonism, I was brought up in this religion and kind of through lack of interest left at the age of 17. I, I, uh, I, I guess because I was brought up in it, it's still kind of is one of these things that you're indoctrinated to. Yeah. And here, even at 46, I'm still at times saying, man, you know, my whole, like, you know, like here with everyone that's called you and I've seen on videos, my family's tied up in it. You know, every, every, every family birthday party that I go to, there's tons of people at the church and you know that they, they, almost like they're looking down at you, like, you know, that you're, that you no longer. And I, I do believe in Christ and I do believe that he's died for my sins and, and, uh, and what I've seen on your videos and stuff, it really struck me. And and uh, I just want your opinion on on the first things thing. I can, if it's easier, I can I can hang up so you can move on faster, and I'll watch what you're saying. On, John, on thanks mine. for watching out there in West Palm Beach. Okay, thank you. Okay, talk to you soon. Um, the thing about it is, is every institution wants to somehow offer something 
that is superior to the next. And so in religion, I mean, Kmart gives you the better deals and then Walmart steps in and gives you more better deals. And so churches do the same thing. And it comes down to we have the special doctrine, the special knowledge that you're going to need, the special way, the special path that we'll deliver to you when you come to our church, you become a member, and it will get you into heaven. That's the first sling approach. Almost every church uh, that becomes a denomination and is really driven denominationally employ, employs uh, that, me that method. Uh, and so, you know, you have to really read the scripture to see. We notice that when Jesus came, a brick building didn't fall out of the sky and land there. And we notice that Jesus says in Mark 9, listen, the apostles get mad because some dude's casting out devils. And they say, he's not with us. And Jesus says, leave him alone. If he's not against us, he's for us. It's a very liberal uh, attitude. The gospel is open up to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit moves where it wants. It touches individuals' lives. The, the churches do not. And so that's the whole thing, my friend, is religions are always going to try to capture you, get your devotions, get your dollars, get your volunteerism, and because it helps them thrive. And they sincerely probably believe that they do have the right way. But I would suggest that the Bible teaches a completely different approach to salvation. That's only through Jesus, not some intermediary uh, pastor, bishop, or, or, or building. Okay, we got Jason in Owen Sound, Ontario, Canada. <clears throat> Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, okay. I had um, kind of a, well, it was originally a quote, but then I had planned to mention it like a couple months ago when I had <clears throat> But I never got around to it, and over time it kind of progressed into kind of a personal sort of, like I added a bunch to the quote, but it was from a pastor out of uh, Reno, Nevada. He was talking about, the quote was, brought, like he was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, but over time, thinking and stuff like that, I added like uh, faith and the law and a lot of other stuff like that to it. But the basics of, of what he was talking about was, um, you know, um, you know, if you're, like, the fruit of the Spirit, so, like, patience and peace and kindness and loving and all that other stuff, um, he compared that to a fruit tree, and he goes, he had uh, fruit trees growing up or whatever, and he goes, out of all the years I've had them, I never recall ever hearing them work to produce the fruit. It just happens. And he likened that to the, 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 like the fruit of the Spirit and stuff like that. And he was saying that, you know, over the over years, and like, you know, trees, fruit trees take years to produce yeah. the full capability, right? Yeah. And he was saying, you know, sometimes, like as a new Christian, you know, sometimes, you, you, like you won't have all the fruit of the Spirit away. You might start with like patience, you know, or kindness, and eventually over, you know, decades and whatever you'll have more and more and more and the theme goes with like the law and stuff like that too is you're not gonna you're not gonna um be able to follow you're not gonna follow all the laws right away but if you continue to grow in the spirit you know it'll just happen you don't have to work on it it'll just like if you're the comparison i use at the youth center i volunteer at is like if you got um you know if you're if you're stealing all the time you know you know it's wrong, but it's you're not going to necessarily always 
it won't go it won't always go away right off the hop you know sometimes it'll take years for it to finally just dissipate and yeah. no longer have that that longing to steal or lie or commit adultery or murder or whatever whatever the spirit will eventually you know kick that stuff out of your life so let me let, it. let me uh let me clear the call can you listen over the line jason Okay, so you want commentary on what your pastor said about that, and I agree with your pastor. Can I explain why? Oh, no, it, was, it, was, it wasn't my pastor. It was a pastor I was watching online. Okay, I, I agree with it, and let me tell you why. Let me clear the line so we can pick up Jared in New Orleans, and I'll answer that. Okay, I'll just skip over it. Yeah. Thanks, my friend. Hey, thanks. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, bottom line, and this is what, where it gets really mixed up, is that um, religions... Legalistic religions will say you need to work to show, you need to work to overcome your sin. You need to work at, you know, you need to make sure if you have a problem with porn that you take your, your computer and you show that, it's sh that your whole family can see you on the computer and all these systems that they implement. But what it is, is we, th the Bible clearly teaches that it's not a working to be better, it's a dying. Working invokes sweat and all that stuff and labor intensive and trying to fix yourself, but it's dying to the self and living by the Spirit. And that doesn't require work. And so the pastor online's point was, listen, a fruit tree bears fruit by itself. It's not struggling. It just produces it. And that's what you want to get to in your life as a Christian, where you're not feigning love and feigning forgiveness and feigning to help and serve but it comes about naturally like a fruit does from a fruit tree. How does that happen? By dying to self. That's why we, Scripture says we are buried with Christ and we rise to Him in new life. Our, uh, we fall in the grave daily and we die daily to Him and we live through Him. He lives through us. And that's the concept and it's a really good one. It's an important one because we have been forgiven of our sin, past, present, and future. So let's say you have a problem with, with stealing, whatever it is, and you're just, you're just always stealing. You can say, okay, I'm not going to steal anymore. I'm not going to steal anymore. And you fight this thing that you're thinking about, or you say, Lord, I give up. I know you've forgiven me. Help me. You relax. He comes in. He guides you. You realize what he's done for you. And it slowly happens. And if it comes back again, it does. He's forgiven. And that's the system of what Christianity is really all about. Let's go to Jared in New Orleans. Jared, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, uh, Sean. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes. Um, first of all, I would have to disagree with you about what you're talking about works. Yeah. I and mean, the whole New Testament talks about, you know, how we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Yeah. So, what are you know, the good works? What's that? What are the good works? Um, that's a good question. There's lots of good works, you know, be prayer, um, helping the poor, reading your Bible, going to church, you know, to name a few. I would consider those good works. So do you, would you believe that you're, you're reading the Bible and you're praying God is saying, okay, that's a good work. I, I, I accept you better, or you're doing something better because you're reading your Bible and you're praying more. Do you think God is looking at you in that way? 
Yeah, uh, loving you more, accepting you more, approving of you more. I wouldn't say that he's loving me more, but uh, I would say that he would be more pleased with a Christian who prays and reads his Bible and you know tells other people about Jesus okay. than one who does no good works at all. I, I definitely think that God would be more pleased with the person who does good works that we were created to do through okay. Christ. Let me give you a, let me give you a parable Jesus taught. Two guys were standing in the temple. One said, "Why I fast twice a week? I give all I have to the poor. I do this, I do that. Why I am I am really doing well." And there was another guy, and he wouldn't even lift his head up, and he said, "God, I'm just a sinner." And Jesus said, "That one goes into the kingdom of heaven well before the other." You see, it's the yeah, works. He was, he was he was justified in in the the. The guy that was boasting in his own works, obviously, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, what are you talking about? God and saying, saying that, that, you know, I deserve some kind of, uh, you know, merit or, or something like this. You know, we, we do these things because we've been saved and that, you know, the Bible tells us to do these things. Yeah, Jared, I would just suggest I would just suggest that what pleases God is love, and those are the labors. Uh, reading the scriptures or prayer and these other things that you think that He's going to be happier with you, or however you put it, they're going to be a byproduct of your loving Him and wanting being close to Him. They are not labors that you are doing in as a means to accomplish anything, but they're an expression of what's in you. There's a big difference, and that's why I try to qualify when I talk about those types of things. There is nothing you can do that you're, he's going to be like, oh, wow, brownie point for you. Nothing. He did that by well, sending his son. Do you agree that, we, that, that we're given rewards in heaven for the good works that we do? But what are those works? And, and I agree that those rewards are predicated, but remember, they're all going to be tried and tested. And many are going to burn as wood, hay, and stubble, and others will remain. What will remain? The works that came from the heart of hearts that are love for our fellow man and love for God, the first great uh, two commandments. And so I am not saying, believe me, you show me someone who says, I really do believe Jesus, and they've followed him for a while, I'm going to say, I will know them by their love. That's what I say. If I find someone who says, I really believe Jesus, and they don't love, in my judgmental mind, which I have no right to do, I think, I wonder about their belief. So I get what you're saying, but all I'm saying is what we think we have to, I will take a bum on the street who drinks himself sick to death every day and does nothing, but has a heart truly for God. He just has been caught up over some pious religionist who thinks that they're pleasing God by their Sunday school att attendance any day of the week. Okay. Well, I think we have some, some common ground on that. I just think a lot of people hear that kind of teaching, and they're like, oh, well, I don't have to do any good works to please God at all. I'm just not going to do any. I would suggest you that know, person probably has not really understood what Jesus has done for them. I would agree. Yeah. But, you know, I, I really wanted to call because the when I heard you say that all churches are false, Yeah, they that, are. That, kind of, that kind of took me back. I'm surprised to hear you say that. Do you think any are no, true? Um, I'm sorry? Do you think there are any that are true? Of course. Of course I do. Name now, one. Um, 
name one. The church that I go to, Grace Baptist Church, in, in on the West Bank. Uh, really? In New Orleans, Louisiana. Of course. Do you think everything that comes over the pulpit from Grace Baptist Church in Louisiana is, is true? Absolutely not. There's many things I disagree with. It. So but, the, you know, the, it's imperfect, right? Yeah, the, the the people are not perfect, but you know, um, look at First Timothy three fifteen. But if I turn long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, okay. which is the church of the living God, okay. the pillar and ground of the truth. I agree. The church it's... of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth, and I... um, you know Acts. 20, 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to be the church of God, which he, speaking of Jesus, hath purchased with his own blood. Right. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the church. When yeah. he instituted the church, you know, as, Jared, as his Jared, what, Jared, what is the church made of? Is it made of brick and mortar or is it made of believers? Well, the word church means assembly, so it's an assembly of believers. Believers. It has nothing to do with the brick and mortar. So when I say no church is true, I'm talking about brick and mortar, denominational institutions, or non-denoms. I'm talking about when people say, I go to this church, I belong to this church in the community on Fifth and Elm. I'm talking about that. No church that way. The body of Christ, I clarified, is true. The made up of believers. But churches, your church down there, wherever you go, is not true. There are problems with that church. That I'm sure doctrinally, there are plenty of problems with the church. But they're trying their best. They're, do, they're doing what they can. I'm not saying, you know, go revolutionary against them. I'm just saying don't put your faith in a brick and mortar building or a man who leads it or a, or a form of... Who do, who do you think has put their faith in a building? A I lot of people, my brother. Oh, my, like my word. In the literal building, in the physical building itself, they have faith in that building. I'm speaking of the building uh, etonymically. I'm speaking of it representing the institution. Not I just use brick and mortar to represent their decorum, their dress standards, their signing memberships, their tithes, their days of worship, their plans for you to participate, their pressures to do certain things, their, uh, their prejudices against other things. These all exist in brick-and-mortar churches. There's none that is true. That's what I'm talking about. So if, if, if they met in a, in a park somewhere and there was no dress code, but it was still called the Church of the Park, would the, you be against that? You know, I mean, it, no, I, because I think, the park would have squirrels and they would bother the sermon. And, and it's not that you're missing my point. The church is whenever two people are gathered together. Two or th that's the church. And when it's well, I would disagree with that definition because the the church has to have a qualified uh, leader. I mean, that's what that's what the pastoral epistles describe the qualifications for a bishop and elder. Okay, let me ask you a question, Jared. With, with your yeah. definition there, let me ask you a question. You took this that from a manual here, right? I got you, that from the Bible. You got it from the Bible. That's our Christian manual. We use it. I read it. How do you know that applies to you, uh, uh, Jared? Why are you using what they did in the early church when Jerusalem was under pressure of being destroyed? How, who gives you the right to take that concept 
and apply it to our day 2,000 years later. It was written for them at that time. How do you take that? Where in that Bible does it say, and this is for all generations forward? You're taking things that they used to assemble people under Roman rule and, and infiltration of Jews, and you're saying this is how it must be right now because they did it when they were facing such enormous tsunamis of conflict. We today, yeah, you're taking... Where, where does it say that it, that, that was for churches that are under Roman persecution and that that is why that, that structure is... Because that's the context of the letters. If you read the letters, the epistles, that's when they were written for. They were written to certain they were being people. Persecuted by the Jews, not the Romans. Persecuted by the Romans and the Jews. Everybody was being persecuted there that was under faith. And so the letters but were there I, to support them. I want to know I where where does it tell us that you have to apply this and the way they did things. For instance, what how does it say to treat widows? It gives seven rules on what you're supposed to do with a, a, a widow, Jared. Do we follow those rules yeah. today? We should. Okay, they're supposed to be washing the people's feet for them to be considered a real widow. Do we apply that today or do we not? It's in the Bible. I have to... Yeah, I know what you have to do. Widows. Look it. It talks about widows that wash the saints' feet. I don't think it says that we have to wash widows' feet. They, yeah, the widows are supposed to wash the saints' feet to be considered real widows. Would you agree with that? How about speaking uh, in church? Can a woman speak in church, uh, Jared? I think that during the teaching, women are supposed to keep silent in the churches, like the Bible says. Do they keep silent at Grace Community Church? The problem is, you're looking at it and saying, it doesn't say anywhere that this applies forever, but it also doesn't say anywhere that this applies specifically to a one period in time, you know, uh, so answer my question. We're going to wrap it up. We're almost out of time, Jared. Should we apply everything the New Testament says to our day? You are inferring that by saying this is what it says they did. Your inference was this is what it says. So are you suggesting that? If you are, should we apply these rules to widows and women speaking in church or not? I don't understand. I mean, I think we need to interpret the Bible on a case-by-case case 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 basis. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we have to do everything exactly the way it's described. Who chooses? There are, there are cultural differences, okay, but I think that we should not go decide what we're going to do based on the culture, but we should decide what we're going to do based on the Bible, because the Bible not making uh, sense. is a timeless book, you know? So. I don't believe you're making sense, my friend, but thanks for watching. Thanks for your thoughts. We'll keep talking. We're out of time. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I got I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't become This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know.
can feel the 